Good morning, everyone. I hope your practice is going very well. Is there anyone who, when they're sitting, still has the voice in their mind talking away? Commenting, narrating. Sometimes. Sometimes. You mean the inner inner conversation with self? Yeah, the inner conversation. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's completely normal. It takes a while for that to stop. And uh, you might have noticed that any time you speak or hear somebody else speak, it starts that little voice up again. You get it to quiet down finally in your meditation, and then you go and talk. Uh, unfortunately, every time I get together with you, we talk. So I'm going to the fact that I'm talking guarantees that you're going to have that little voice going, even if you've managed to quiet it down. But uh, please, please do your best uh, not to do anything to uh, keep that little voice going uh, the rest of the time as much as possible. Okay. As a matter of fact, you see this? We call this the world-stopping mudra. <laughs> world-stopping mudra. And so... You know, if, if you find yourself in a situation where people aren't keeping silence, you know, you can just do the world stopping <laughs> And if you see somebody else doing the world stopping mudra, check and see if you're the one that's that's starting the verbal formations going again. But but please um, and try to understand because these two days we 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 are so in immature mm-hmm. about uh, uh, organize this retreat. Yes. So lots of things still kind of in a chaotic uh, mm-hmm. situation. So we needed to talk in mm-hmm. order to exchange the who do what or where, where yeah. To, yeah. to find things. That sort of thing, organize, try to make things more smooth. I do understand that, yes. I just... Want to remind you that you shouldn't let it become a habit. That you want sure. it to stop as soon sure. as you can. Right? Yeah. So, but I do, I do understand that. It's just, it's just that if I don't remind you of this, and then because there's necessity to talk in the beginning, sometimes you forget, and the talking keeps on going when the necessity is no longer there. So. Yes. Yes. And. Um, in terms of bringing the mind to a place of, of, of inner calm and stillness, uh, you know, it's not just the uh, a silence and, and quiet. Also, slowness and smoothness, uh, gracefulness of moving is very conducive to that. And the opposites of that, speed and uh, sudden movements and sudden noise, 
these agitate the mind. So, so try to, and this is part of, you know, I, I ask you to try to meditate, to try to practice all of the time. And so gracefulness uh, of movement comes from this. And, and slowness is conducive to gracefulness. As the gracefulness develops, then you move more quickly, but you never lose that gracefulness and smoothness. So, so try to keep those things in mind, these, because these will all these will help. These will help in all of your uh, formal meditation during the day to minimize these sorts of uh, agitating uh, factors. So, what sort of things? Have you had come up in your meditation that we might talk about or that you might have questions about? Yes? I have a, a sense of a doubt about whether I want to, to break the horse, to break my horse mind and, and to, to calm it. I, I have this sense of worry that the spontaneity and the creativity is going to be sacrifice in the process. And uh, do you, uh, when your mind brings that concern forward, uh, have you, does it have any evidence to support that uh, hypothesis as a possible outcome? No, it's just a worry. Mm -hmm. Sort of like I just told myself, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you when I have the chance. And mm-hmm. alone for now. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Why? Uh, this is a lot of trouble to go to to make myself into some kind of zombie who uh, <laughs> has no spontaneity and creativity anymore. But uh, I, I assure you that the opposite is quite the result. That experienced meditators are very creative people, and in fact, I, th- I think that you might even regard them as some of the most spontaneous people, because spontaneous in the sense that they're fully present. And their spontaneity isn't constrained by all that overlay of uh, uh, concerns and mental formations and moods and emotions and desires and conflicts and so forth. I hope that helps. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know what what the community of meditators that you find yourself in contact with is. Hopefully there is one, but if you, re- if you reflect on it, I, I think that you'll be satisfied that, that it's not a problem. Okay. What else is there? Uh, I have a question. Um, when I'm working meditation, um, what I understand is to just to um, focus on every information you get from the environment and from your and your inner experience 
should I uh, should I get out all the uh, information from outside just focus on my breathing or or focusing on everything I guess well when, you, when you're doing walking meditation uh, I don't know if I made this clear previously is during the walking meditation you, you don't need to pay attention to the breath anymore I, I know there's some methods that some people teach like Thich Nhat Hanh teaches a method where you make the breath correspond with the walking but um, that's not the method that, that I teach uh, if you happen because you've been sitting and observing your breath uh, during your sitting meditation, you may continue to be quite aware of your breath even while you're walking, and that's fine. But it's not an intended deliberate focus. Now, when you're in the walking meditation, what you're primarily concerned with is uh, remaining in the present when you're in a state of movement and with all of your senses functioning. And so really it's a practice about uh, controlling the movement of, uh, of attention. In other words, keeping attention under intentional control. But it's also about exploring and discovering the nature of sensation and the relationship between the mind and sensation. Because of the amount of, of sensory experience involved in walking meditation, there should be a minimal um, amount of, of thinking. Most of the mental activity that arises during walking meditation involves the recognition of the sensory phenomena you experience and the responses that those uh, experiences elicit from the mind in terms of of pleasant and unpleasant and mental states and uh, the inclination to draw the attention towards one thing as opposed to another. And so this this is what you're observing. In a walking meditation you're observing the body and the senses and the way they interact with the world on the one hand and with the mind on the other. Okay? And as I said the first night, there's a tremendous degree of latitude in how focused you do that practice. And so I want you to experiment with uh, different degrees of focus at different times and uh, sometimes being uh, very, very closely focused on the sensations of the soles of your feet and other times being completely open to what you see, hear, feel, smell, and, and taste. So, um, so speak to me some more about uh, what you would like to be clarified I like to sense everything that I, I get in touch with, such as the, the wind, or the color of the, the leaves, mm-hmm. or the, the blue sky or the, of the of the lake, or the lake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's very beautiful and has pressure when getting in touch 
And I tried, I tried to identify the, the tiny difference between the different colors, the yeah. um, tiny individual colors of the, those leaves or trees or rocks or the sky. Mm -hmm. mm. I, find, I find sort of pressure when closely observing this phenomena. And this morning I try to slow down my pace. I, I find that if I slow my pace, um, the sense of pressure intensi was intensified. So I think, um, I don't know whether if you slow down, is it correct, uh, more correctly to, to get it, to sense that kind of pressure or not. Mm -hmm. So, so enjoying the environment is very comfortable to me. Mm -hmm. uh, in in walking meditation, enjoying the environment is always going to be a part of it. It is not the primary objective, though. Okay, uh, it is a very wonderful part of it, though. As a matter of fact, as, um, walking meditation is all about being entirely in the present moment. And uh, in English, we can make a little uh, pun out of that. It's, it's entirely about being in the pleasant moment. <laughs> because uh, the, the present moment contains, when, whenever you are in the present moment, you'll find that there are a huge variety of uh, pleasant experiences that we normally overlook and disregard because we're not in the present, we're in the past and the future and somewhere else. So that's definitely a part of the whole experience. Um, but, it is, but as I said, the point isn't, isn't to go and spend a half an hour enjoying yourself. It's to cultivate the uh, uh, particular mental qualities, especially the mental quality of awareness, which you are doing. You are noticing the subtle discrimination you can make of the different colors visually. You mentioned that. Um, you want to penetrate into every aspect of your experience. And last night I talked to you about the practice of noticing pleasant unpleasant and neither pleasant or unpleasant experiences. And so this is one of the things that you spontaneously become aware of while doing walking meditation is there are many sensory experiences you're exposed to that are pleasant. And there are also amongst those there are some that are unpleasant. And it's uh, equally important to be aware of those. What you you want to penetrate to and discover uh, the nature of experience and ex every experience you have is always colored by pleasant, unpleasant or, or neither pleasant or unpleasant. And as I said, this applies first of all to the sensory experience but then subsequently and, and sometimes very immediately afterwards to the, uh, the mental experience that follows that. And so be aware of both of those. This is part of the exploration 
uh, leading to insight. Uh, there are also one of the things that you might, just a question that you might raise for yourself every now and then, when you find yourself particularly enjoying some aspect of your environment when you're walking, is to ask yourself this question, okay, we said that the first truth was that human existence is pervaded by dissatisfactoriness, the causes of unhappiness, by dukkha. And so when you find yourself in a walking meditation being particularly strongly impressed by the experience of pleasure, this is also a very good time to just raise this question in your mind of the significance of the truth of of dukkha, of suffering, to bring some of that understanding into it. Another thing to do as a part of your walking practice is to notice the relationship between sensation and the mind. Right now, we hear a sound and we know that that's a vehicle, a truck. But the truck is not in that sound. And two different things happen one after another. There is a sound, which is only a sound. It is nothing but a sound. So we cognize the sound. And then we recognize the truck. It's a second act of of knowing that follows the first. Because we carry around in our mind, based on our past experience, the notion of a truck and we associate that. And with any kind of sound, we, it, we can see fairly quickly the relationship. There is just the sensation, and then there is the conceptualization, the, the mental formation by which we know the content of uh, that, that experience. We quickly leave the sensation behind and replace it with the with the mental formation, the concept. Uh, this is something that you can become aware of. You're doing your walking meditation. There is a sound, and you notice your mind putting a label on that sound, attaching a concept to it, and then you can move into the domain of hearing, of that sensory domain and you can explore it in its different ways. You can allow yourself to notice that there are many sounds taking place, most of which you weren't aware of until this thought came to rest in the domain of hearing. And now you become aware of all of these different sounds. And as you, as you rest your attention in the domain of hearing, different sounds will arise and you'll see the mind's reaction to them. The mind will be drawn to some and not to others or drawn more strongly to some than to others. The mind will respond to some with a reaction of experiencing pleasure. Some will be neutral and some will be unpleasant. Some the mind will be very quickly to attach a label to and a concept 
and others not so quickly. These are all the sorts of things that you want to cultivate awareness of. And it seems like a lot, doesn't it? How how can I be aware of all that while I'm walking? Well, you start off. (laughs) Just, uh, you know, being aware of what you can. And gradually, the degree of your mindful awareness will increase and your awareness becomes more full. But what's more important is that in the process of observation, certain things about the nature of the mind and the nature of experience start to become more and more obvious. They, they, they start to uh, become understood in a very direct and intuitive way through the experience. For example, in your walking meditation, you explore the domain of sound and hearing, and you notice these kinds of relationships that occur between the sensation and the mental formations. And then if you shift to other domains, like the domain of seeing, it's quite the opposite. It is very, all that your eyes actually present to the mind is, is shape and color, or really it's just different intensities of color. Even shape is a secondary thing that is derived out of different intensities of color. You know that, right? That's obvious. But to experience it, it's so hard to experience it. You open your eyes and immediately everything has an identity. It has a concept. You know, With sound, you can clearly experience the sound first and the emergence of the concept afterwards. But with vision, the concept is there. The mental formation is there. And it takes an effort to discover the sensation that uh, gives rise to it. So these are these are these are things to explore and to discover as a part of your walking meditation. Above all, remain in the present moment, and then practice mindful awareness, open observation of what is actually taking place in the moment, and. It is a, the scope is very large, and so you need to take it small pieces at a time. And you can, you can be guided in this. You are naturally drawn to one thing or another, or one, one aspect of your experience or another. So let that happen. But as you are drawn first to hearing and then to feeling and, and so on and so forth, be always in that state of open observation, investigation like a a curious child, as though this is the first time you had ever experienced this. Thank you. Excuse me, would you say one more time, you say that, because the seeing you just mentioned was so no no distance between the the mental formation and the concept and, Mm -hmm. and the things. So you want us to practice separate that? Just become aware of that. I made a statement. Make sure it's really true. And see what there is that you can discover for yourself about the nature of seeing as compared to feeling. In fact, uh, I hear you mention maybe twice regarding to say, eyes see is only color, not even shape. 
but so clear for me, I see shape and I see mm-hmm. more than color. So this, I, I'm not quite, quite get that. I said what your eyes see, what your mind sees is people and floors and cups and pieces of paper. And, right? That's what your mind sees. Um, if I had a, a, a photograph or a very well-done painting that was just far enough away from you, uh, it would seem, you couldn't tell that it was a painting or a photograph. I mean, you know when they make a movie, a lot of times when, you, when you're watching a movie and uh, you see buildings and desert and mountains behind two people that are talking, that if you went to where they made the movie, that's just a picture that they're standing in front of in a parking lot, right? You know that. Mm-hmm. And you know that I could put a picture in front of you and I could fool you into so that you didn't realize it was a picture. You would think it was real objects. What is a picture made of? Dark areas and light areas. Bright red areas and yellow areas and blue areas and dark green areas and light green areas and different shades. That's what the picture consists of. That's the reality of it. And you know that. You see, your eyes see recognizable objects. Your eyes see distinct shapes. Or, and I shouldn't say your eyes, your mind. Your mind sees recognizable objects. Your mind sees distinct shapes. What your eye sees, though, is just color. Darker and lighter colors. And you see, you know, the shape, if you look at the shape, there's a black circle here, I'll cover up the light parts. You look at this, and you see a distinct circle when you look at that. But, that's one color, and then whatever's behind it is different colors, and that's where the shape comes from. All that's really there for your eyes is these different colors. And so, it, but it sees the boundary between the black, and if, if I hold it against my shirt, it sees the boundary between the black and the white behind it. And so, the shape comes even, even the shape itself is something that is not intrinsically present in what the eye detects. It's something that the mind... And of course, but you see this, and it's really, you know, if I put this side like this, you can see a black circle, but I put it like this, it's really hard to even see uh, colors there, because your mind just wants to see a clock. That's what I'm talking about. You had something else? Or, Or Sophia did? About the uh, working meditation, yes. Uh, my experience, uh, I think the main point of view is meditation, and I uh, knowing the my full sensation, the movement and touch instead of the breath. Yes, the the touch and the and the movement. Yes. Oh, I, I, 
，就是说这是我的经验了哈。我觉得 working meditation 哈，重要的那个字是在 meditation 那个字。好，我们常常有一句话说“走出禅未来”，其实我们是要有一个在禅定的心态来走。然后呢，我们做的时候是观呼吸，但是我们走的时候就是我们就不是在观呼吸，观我们的脚的触点跟我们的这个触觉啦。这是我的经验，我 working meditation 的的一个经验，这样。好，那个对吧？我懂你。OK， 啊、uh, ，She just uh make a comment say that in her experience, the uh walking meditation most important is focus on core core meditation instead of uh. Uh, breathing and all the uh, meditation mean the all the sensation and all the things. So uh, that's sh she want to make a, a comment and say this is very important. You know, when walking meditation, focus on sensation, especially the the feet <coughs> feeling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let me just add. I think the main point is that instead of so. The difference between walking and the sitting is that in the sitting we focus on breathing, and in the walking it's the the, the touching uh, sensation. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, obviously, everybody got different ideas. Different ideas. I, I thought <laughs> <laughs> she mentioned about the meditation. Whatever meditation, the the incense is like bring you to the present, you know. But when you're walking, whatever. You focus on. She focus on the, uh, you know, the sensation when you touch the the ground. Mm -hmm. You are, yeah. and and the movement which can really bring you to the present. Yes. You know, uh, compare. You know, when you sitting and and focus on on mm -hmm. your breath, which also can bring you to the present. That that's what I understand. <laughs> yes, and that's that's uh, that's right. Yes, all of these things are true. You can. The difference between the walking meditation and the sitting meditation is in the sitting meditation you're being very, very focused on one thing and you're drawing your awareness very much inward to to the mind, the one sensation and the mind. And you're watching how the mind wants to move away from that one sensation to other things and you bring it back. When you're walking, it's the... Uh, it, it's not so much you're focusing on the sensations first of all in your feet and you can be it can be very similar to sitting if you're focused very closely on just the sensations in the feet but you can't help seeing and hearing and feeling and everything else at the same time so it's a much more it's more open and it involves compared between the two it involves the normal activities of the mind less and the activities of the body and the senses more. So, yeah. I have a question. Uh, I really do bad at uh, walking meditation mm -hmm. because I love beautiful stuff. So unfortunately most of the retreat center, their garden is so pretty. Yeah. And uh, my, mm -hmm. my, uh, my eyes just I just cannot help the look at the beautiful flowers, trees, you know, the mm -hmm. paths, you know. So is that um, I do well at sitting meditation. So can can a person just choose sit more instead of 
walk? Can I get enlightenment if I sit more than walk? I, I, I think that you probably can, but I think that, that, that there's a lot of benefit from the walking meditation too. You see, everyone, especially in a place like this, when you walk, you're going to experience the, the beauty and the wonderfulness yeah. of it. That's inevitable. Uh, and that's okay. What's not okay is to just lose yourself in the pleasure of it. Okay? <laughs> it's about mindful awareness. And it's being mindfully aware of whatever is actually happening at all times. So, beauty is happening, pleasure is happening. It's not losing yourself in the beauty and the pleasure, it's being mindfully aware of this, this is what it's like to experience beauty. Um, you know, it's a, it's a process of discovery. It's a pl- process of discovery of the true nature of reality, the true nature of experience. You know, it's a process of waking up from the dream that you've been in all of your life by looking at what's actually happening. And so we don't exclude, it includes everything. We don't exclude anything from that. So if we experience beauty, that's what's happening. That's what we investigate. That's what we look at. Right? So, I. Uh, I don't mind at all if you do more sitting and less walking, but please, when you do your walking, you know, recognize that this is a very, it, this is a very valuable practice that's going to be a great benefit to you as well. And the only thing that you don't want to do is to lose that mindful awareness, to lose that spirit of discovering. Uh, you know, as a as a Buddhist form, as some other form of meditation, maybe you would maybe you'd be most interested in the experience of pleasure and, and creating a joyful, happy state of mind. But as Buddhist meditation, it is about seeing and understanding the way things really are, and. The way things really are is always present in every moment. There's not a moment of experience that doesn't involve the way things really are. So every moment, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you have the opportunity to see and understand things the way they really are. And that's what you want to be doing in your walking meditation. It's only if you forget that you're trying to do that that you have a problem. And the the following question is, I enjoy cooking. Mm-hmm. So... They, 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 they try to convince me that uh, don't cook too much. If my purpose come here is to do meditation, but I find in the morning when I cook, when I prepare food, I'm kind of very joyful. You know, <laughs> how to deal with that? I I enjoy to uh, create a better taste food, and I also very enjoy. If people like my food, mm-hmm. I feel so happy. Even yeah. even I only taste the food, I don't get a chance actually eat my my own mm-hmm. cooking. But when people eating it, I'm mm-hmm. so happy. I enjoy cooking. I enjoy watching people eating it. Yeah. So is this related to meditation, or I should just cut back? 
I want you to eat plain. I want you to meditate every moment. So if you, you know, if if you're making the breakfast for people, you do that as a meditation in every aspect of it. And you be mindfully aware of your mind's reaction, okay? So doing that makes you feel joyful. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, why does it make you feel joyful? I mean, look until you keep observing until you see. Is there attachment there? Uh, Probably is. What are the different thoughts that go through your mind? Or do you not think when you're, you know? Discover what, I mean, it is part of the reality of your experience. It is made up of sensations and mental formations interacting with each other. So, as long as you don't stop investigating, then you're still meditating. But when you get lost in the enjoyment of it, which will happen, that will be part of it, but you notice and you bring yourself back into being fully aware. Okay. it's, it's It's not a problem to enjoy things, but it's a uh, but you want to have just as much mindful awareness when you're enjoying things as when you're meditating on pain. Okay, no less. Okay. Okay. Or when you're meditating on something as completely boring as the sensation of the breath. <laughs> okay. I enjoy eating. <laughs> And that's and, and eating is a very important meditation. When you eat, I want you to eat very slowly. I want you to, you know, you you take you you you, you take your bite of food and you notice uh, you notice how your mind selects what it does from the bowl. Why do you select this thing rather than the other thing? There's many things in your bowl. You select this one, and you notice the process of bringing it to your mouth, and you notice. The sensation as you first, you know, it touches your lips and then you begin to chew it. You notice the flavors that come out and you notice the mind reacting to the different flavors. And you watch yourself chewing it, you know, and you watch at some point an urge comes, you know, as the food becomes softer and more liquid, it moves to the back of the mouth and you notice an urge comes to swallow. And then you notice the act of swallowing, the feel of swallowing. And then you notice, just as the food is disappearing down your throat, comes this desire, this urge to reach forward and take another bite. You notice sometimes that it's it's so such a tasty morsel that even before you finish chewing, you're already going after the next one. You know? <laughs> notice that. Notice that. And when you notice that, slow down and explore it. And, and so eating... Eating is a very important meditation. One of the more important meditations that you can do is every every single bite at every single meal is part of your meditation. Notice how notice how you know you take uh, five bites of the same thing in the first one. Oh, that's so wonderful! I have to have some more. By the time you get to the fifth bite, it's not so interesting anymore. You're looking around for something different, right? This is part of what we talked about last night. The nature, the the nature of uh, the experience of, of pleasure. So, yeah.
this is good. Meditation is about all of these things. Don't miss an opportunity. <laughs> and uh, if I could, Thai, would you please uh, explain a little bit more regarding to the feeling? I know you talk about, but um, like a sitting meditation, I know the thoughts sometimes uh, bring out some uh, emotion, feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, then watch that, observe that thoughts, the, the, the emotion and different uh, thoughts too. And like you just say, eating, and also you know, uh, carefully examine the, the, the mind or the feeling or, 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 or that, okay? But when the walking meditation, okay, sometimes the, I, the, 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 the feeling come out, it sounds like a, without any thoughts, mm-hmm. without any that, and, and emotion that, and how do I observe that, how, how related? It is because the, the, the mind is go somewhere and get the emotion come out, but it sounds like I'm not aware of any, any thoughts any, mm-hmm. at all, but the emotion that. So would you just uh, explain a little more? I, I don't think I'm, I fully understand. Uh, well, I, I agree with what you say, is that you will have that experience of emotions that come up that are not preceded by thoughts that you're aware of. They just come up. But to know that, that's an observation. That, aha, uh-huh, there's that emotion, and it didn't come... It, it wasn't preceded by feeling. Where did it come from? Just noticing that. Noticing the nature of the emotions. Um, so emotion is not related to any mind? Where do the emotions come from? They, come, they came from your mind. Uh-huh. But when you notice that... Well, the same thing with, with emotions. Emotion seems to come from nowhere, but also a thought seems to come from nowhere. You're walking, all of a sudden you have a thought. Where did it come from? You, uh, can you say, I mean, you will say, what we normally say is, I had this thought, but did the I create that thought? Did the self create that emotion? It just comes, but where does it come from? Does it come from nowhere? You know the answer to that right away. No, it came out of your mind. And it came out of some part of your mind that doesn't involve your conscious awareness. It came from from something that was not conscious, and then it came to be conscious. But when it came into your consciousness, it was already fully formed. So that, what does that tell you? That tells you that, well, what does that tell you? about the nature of the mind and the way you think of it. You know, you go around thinking, I am my mind. And then all of a sudden your mind is doing things you where did I come from? <laughs> it makes you at least doubt that you are your mind. You start to, you know, that you start to draw that line and say, okay, here's me. I knew what was going on and all of a sudden this thing was here. It came from over there, somewhere where I wasn't. I was over here, and that emotion got created 
over there where I wasn't there and now it arrived here. So therefore, uh, I'm not... There's some parts of my mind that it doesn't make sense to identify as myself because I don't have any control over them. And they surprise me with these things they come up with. This is telling you something very important about reality. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, the sense that. Yeah. It's saying that that th- this mind involves a lot that's unconscious or not conscious. It's actually the same thing that, uh, a, a similar kind of thing that you were discovering if you, uh, when I was talking about walking meditation, a sound attracts your attention and then you begin to notice hearing and you discover that there's all kinds of sounds going on all the time that you weren't aware of. But your body was still aware of them. Because if one of those sounds had been something unusual or dangerous, you would have become aware of it. So how did, even though the sound was already over with by the time you become aware of it, you would have become aware of it. So it says that your body is aware of sensations even uh, when you're not conscious of those sensations. And that there's some part of your mind that you also aren't conscious of that looks at those sensations and says, oh, wait a minute, this is an important one, and it thrusts it into your conscious awareness. So these both, the sensations emerging unexpectedly and the exploration of the senses will also lead you to the same understanding that the idea that, you know, I mean, we get over the idea that I am my body and we start to see, well, okay, yeah, I am not my body, it's very important to me, but I am I myself is not my body. But we remain attached to the idea that I am my mind, myself is my mind. But in your meditation you start to have these experiences and see these things and make it clear that, well, wait a minute, this this mind thing, it's it's not one thing and it's not this self either. It's a whole lot of different processes that are going on that I've just fooled myself into thinking that I was in control of or that it was a, a, a self, that it was a single entity or, or any of these other thoughts that I have about it. Get the idea? It's discovering the way things really are. The clues are there all of the time, constantly. They never stop of being there. You know, Reality is always saying to you, look, this is the way I really am. So the true nature of reality is presenting itself to you constantly. All we're doing in meditation is trying to get the mind to a place where we actually notice and discover. The true nature of reality is, is right there in front of us every moment. It's a process of noticing. Yeah. I have a question about breathing and breathing out. Whenever I was in the wandering or the sleepy status, and uh, I tried to uh, make the breathing or breathe out longer, it will enhance my uh, concentration on the breath. But I was told that there was we should uh, supposed to breathe naturally. Mm-hmm. But the rhythm of the natural um, breath breath it's it's the same as the, the rhythm of breath for sleeping. So is it good uh, to to make a breath longer in order to enhance the concentration? It, it's best, 
uh, what you want to do is you want to cultivate the attitude of being the passive observer, not the doer of things. So you don't want to control the breath. Um, Sometimes the breath becomes very faint and it's hard to detect. And you can deliberately take a deep breath just to bring back that awareness. There's nothing wrong with that. Although after a time, your awareness will become so sharp and so clear that you don't need to do that. Even when your breath becomes so fine that it's hard for somebody else to detect, you can still feel it. Uh, But you said in terms of helping you to concentrate. What it's doing is... uh, by deliberately controlling the breath, it's a way of engaging with the breath. You see what I'm saying? It's keeping you with the breath because you're, you're more involved. You're, you're involved now with controlling the breath, making it deliberately longer. And that works, but there's a limit to how far you can go with that. You can't, uh, you can't develop the particular stages of concentration and mindful awareness that we ultimately want to get to in an activity that involves controlling the breath. So it's better if you engage more fully with the breath in order to enhance your concentration, not by deliberately controlling it, but by more closely observing it. That's why I was encouraging you to to penetrate into the details of the various sensations that uh, are produced by the breath, and to uh, and to even be aware: is this breath longer or shorter than the last breath, or is the pause between the out and the in breath longer or shorter than the pause between the in and the out breath? These are these are ways, equally effective ways, of engaging the mind with the breath, so that you don't so that the attention doesn't drift and so that, so that the uh, mindful awareness doesn't weaken. But because the mind is just in the, stage, in the state of being the observer rather than the doer of the breath, it allows, uh, as we proceed in the cultivation of concentration and mindful awareness, it allows for certain things to happen that can't while you're, while you're in the practice of control. Good question. Um, can, can you be a little bit? Uh, can you uh, speak a little bit more about the downsides of controlling the breath? Because um, uh, I, I know there's some benefits of controlling the breath, but I'd like to know more downsides of controlling the breath. Well, there are a number of them. Uh, one of them is. You see, part of the way that we remain attached to this idea that we are uh, a self in control of things is through the sense of being the doer. And, you know, as long as you're controlling the breath, you're going to be reinforcing that idea that, that there, there is an I in charge behind all of that. That's just one of them. Another completely different thing is that in order to enter into to, to achieve samatha, the culmination of concentration development is a state called samatha. And that's where you've trained your mind so that you have very stable 
single-pointed awareness with a very high degree uh, of, of mindful awareness. And in order to, in, to arrive at that, you have to You have to train the mind to be still. Wherever you place the mind, it stays there. And that the mind observes whatever comes up in the moment. If you're busy creating what comes up in the moment, you can't really do that. Sooner or later, you have to leave the controlling the breath behind to to come to a state of samatha where all you do is you place the attention on anything it is that you wish to observe and it is perceived with tremendous clarity. Uh, what if we uh, use the controlling breath to, uh, to energize the mind and then afterwards we let go, let go of that uh, that's, that, that That's a good practice, yes. You can do that. Which reminds me a little bit, I was wondering... How many of you are at stage where you're starting to deal with sleepiness and dullness and things like that in your meditation? A few of you. A few of you. Well, one of the things that we'll need to talk about very soon is ways of energizing the mind to overcome dullness, and uh, and you can do that through the breath. So you know, using it in that way, uh, there's no problem with. But becoming dependent upon it as a part uh, of controlling the breath dependent upon controlling the breath as a part of your meditation practice, that's that's not going to be helpful in the long run. Because sooner or later you have to stop doing it. But um, using it to energize the mind, absolutely. You know, uh, when you're starting to experience dullness, sleepiness, one of the things that you can do is you can take a deep breath and then you can let it out slowly against some resistance. You can go... And do that three or four times, and you'll find this energizes your mind, and that wakes you up. It's just one of the ways of using the breath to, to bring the energy level up. But doing that for three or four breaths is quite different than controlling your breath throughout the whole period of, of a sit, or the major part of a sit. Or breathing in a controlled way for a few minutes as, as a practice you know, to augment the development of concentration. Okay. Uh, come back to you again, but uh, Tracy's been waiting for a while. Sorry. It's just a quick question. Going back earlier to when we were talking about um, uh, uh, being mindful when we eat, um, it, how, how do we distinguish when we really like something? Uh, I mean, the line between like something and then when it becomes like attachment to something. Maybe okay. maybe I really like particular kind mm-hmm. of food. Right. So maybe it takes more than five bites for me mm-hmm. to right. the, to diminish. Mm-hmm. So where do I identify the end of when when it stops becomes like I'm still enjoying it till like indulging it. Yeah, that and, and, and the way that you do that is through through observing yourself and observing your mind as you do it. I mean that that would be a very good example of how to meditate on eating. You know, if you're if you're eating something and that question is present, find the answer for yourself. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
I mean, if your question is, how do you, how do you distinguish between those two things? It's by looking. So, go and look. <laughs> yes, Ben? Um, during my meditation, that I, I don't feel a general calm at all that I expected. Mm-hmm. I don't feel tranquil. I just feel like I'm attempting to take on this enormous task of this particular meditation and all the subsequent ones that are coming. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's something to just return to the breath mm-hmm. for. But overall, there's just this sort of Sense of dread, of dread about it all. Oh, oh, wow! Rather than feeling, in other in other practices, I felt much more sort of mm-hmm. serene and calm during meditation. And I find difficulty finding that here so far. Okay, well, two things. First of all, th- there's nothing about this practice that's difficult. It involves just very, very simple actions that you do. What you have to do is minimal and uh, the training of the mind proceeds almost on its own. So you don't need to have a lot of dread about it. (laughs) And what seems formidable when it's described in actual practice and experience isn't, isn't nearly so. Now, I'm not sure what practices you've previously done, but uh, and, and I think I might ask you about that, but first of all, I'll just point out to you, if your primary objective is to be in a state of tranquility, then uh, you could take a, a, a tranquilizing medication and get there much more quickly. I mean, you could even go and drink a bottle of wine and get there more quickly, right? And there are certain things that a person can do which will produce a, a, a tranquil state of mind. Various kinds of, of uh, physical practices and, and mental practices which are very conducive to tranquility. What we're trying to do is to produce a tranquility that is the result of the mind itself becoming calm and unified as a result of the training so that that calmness and unification of mind is available to you anytime you want or need it and is available for you for you to use. So you may not initially, you know, uh, you may not initially experience so much tranquility of mind. What's very, very common about this kind of meditation um, is that a person, they'll start to meditate, they'll say, okay, I'm supposed to keep my attention on the breath, and their mind is all over the place. And they have this feeling like, this is just making my mind agitated. In actual fact, uh, very often it's the case that your mind is not the slightest bit more agitated than it usually is, you just noticed it. because. You're asking your mind to stay on one thing, and it's never done that before. And you've never tried to make it stay on one thing, so you've never noticed before. Okay. The other possibility is 
that at a certain point there may actually be more agitation in the mind than there normally is. And that's a result of the fact that you keep bringing your mind back to the same thing, the sensation of the breath, and the mind says, this is boring. There's a lot more interesting and important things that we could be attending to than the say, sensations of the breath. And so a restlessness develops. And there's a feeling of restlessness and a feeling of impatience. Uh, and, you know, and that's something that, that to some degree or another is always going to happen with this kind of practice. And you can experience and interpret it as, well, this meditation isn't calling my mind, it's agitating my mind. And, and strictly speaking, you're, you're right. You're experiencing boredom and restlessness because you're trying to train your mind to do something that it's not used to doing and doesn't really want to do. I don't know if this is addressing, is this addressing your question and where you're coming from? And what kind of practices did you do uh, or are you used to doing? Um. Well, mostly just uh, sort of a practice that emphasizes the flow and the navel. For some reason, that uh, as an object of concentration rather than up here, for some reason up here seems not so calming for me. Okay, there is another thing that, uh, this is an important topic to talk about. I'm sorry to keep you from lunch, I'll just do it for two, three minutes here. Very short. No problem. What? No problem. Okay. I'm glad Deborah speaks yeah. for all of you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> she does. <laughs> um, one of the problems with meditation is there is a tendency of the mind to settle into a comfortable dullness. Uh, it is very easy to become concentrated in a kind of dullness. Um, one of the things about using the sensations of the breath at the nose is that we're asking you to be very aware of a lot of different things. This is a kind of, this is a kind of, and it's deliberate. This is a kind of activity that is uh, activity of the mind. Excuse me, an, an activity of the mind that is uh, contradictory to settling into this really quiet, peaceful, dull state. And over and over again, as we progress in the meditation, uh, we'll be confronted by the tendency of the mind to move into dullness and to bring the mind to a higher level of awareness and alertness to overcome that. Dullness is a false kind of calm. It's not the genuine calm and unification of the mind that we want. It's it's more the kind of calmness of mind that you would get from a tranquilizer or a bottle of wine or something like that. We don't want that. We want the mind that is calm and tranquil, but clear and bright at the same time. So, uh, one analogy that I used with somebody earlier today, if uh, uh, a lake becomes completely calm, the surface becomes like a mirror. It's clear and bright. It reflects the sky and the trees and the rocks with perfect sharpness and clarity. That's the kind of calm that we want, not the fuzzy, dull, pleasant kind of calm. Well, this other calm is very pleasant. It's even more pleasant. But it's not that same warm, fuzzy, 
pleasantness that you get from dhammas. So continue practice eventually you'll get. You keep yes. This is this is just very much a beginning part of it where you experience the agitation and the restlessness, uh, the the mind wandering and the monkey mind. You know, and if you can just stay with the practice until you get beyond that. I mean, am, am I telling the truth uh, for those of you that are? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, please be patient. And that's time for lunch. Okay. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you.